Marketers have been sitting around scratching their heads recently, wondering which direction their industry is going to be heading. But Rob Norman, the chief digital officer of Group M, believes that he and his business have got to the bottom of it. The general thesis goes like this. That the real story is the world's gone from channels to sites to apps. Absolutely loads of them, all providing new challenges for marketers every single day. And what it means is... That there's going to be an enormous percentage of screen time. Tom Litton Dickey sat down with Rob Norman to discuss what lies ahead for the future of marketing. So, Rob, thank you for joining us. Tom, good to be here. Rob is the chief digital officer of Group M. Correct. We've, we've been speaking to a lot of CMOs recently about how technology is changing their roles. And, I mean, or, or the, the use of innovation in, in how they reach their customers. And some of them are still talking about text messaging as a, as a means uh, or an innovation they've been employing recently. So how much of a discrepancy is there between what brands are actually using, as you, as you say, versus some of the technologies being discussed in, in the tech media, for example? Well, let's talk about text messaging, why don't we? So in a very literal sense, text messaging is a huge marketing tool for us in India, for example. So in India, we do a lot of text-based marketing, we do a lot of what's called missed call marketing. I don't know if you're familiar with missed call marketing, no. but the idea is because people don't want to pay for marketing messages they get themselves, is what you do is you invite people to call a number, they ring once, they hang up, and as you know, when someone calls your cell phone or mobile phone, if we're here in the UK, you have a record of the number. And so what happens is it lets the marketer then send the marketing message back at his cost rather than the cost to the consumer. And that's a form of uh, text messaging as well. So text messaging is alive and well. Of course it's going to be even more alive and well and I'd be delighted if the reason why many marketers were thinking again about text messaging was not just because of SMS but it was because of WeChat and WhatsApp and mm. so forth. Mm. And it's not discussed all that much but the second biggest of the Facebook family of apps is the big blue app is now whatever it is, 1.3 million, uh, 1.3 billion, I'm sorry, monthly users. And the second biggest one is WhatsApp and the third biggest one is Messenger and I think Instagram is fourth and what's curious to me is that, that WhatsApp is huge outside of the US with about three quarters of a billion users and Facebook Messenger I think has five to six hundred million users with a significant US and Western Europe skew. So if you're thinking about text messaging because you're thinking about the messaging ecosystem overall mm. that's highly <coughs> relevant. And my sense is that people will look increasingly at using text and messaging as integration into customer service apps. So I don't see it necessarily so much as a push marketing vehicle, which is where SMS marketing started, but more as a support via customer service. So I think that's absolutely fine, absolutely good, and absolutely relevant to use that. I'm, in a way, quite surprised that there's less of a disconnect between our view of the world mm. and our clients' view of the world. And actually, yeah. I feel very connected with them, and I don't feel that we're pushing one agenda much more than they are. I guess if there was one area that we're starting to kind of wrench at a little bit more is trying to push our clients to what we call platform and or vendor-specific creativity. We have known for quite a while that television commercials don't really... Uh, do what you want them to do on YouTube. We know with absolute certainty that television commercials don't do what anyone wants to do on Facebook. So we're looking at different video assets for, for YouTube and television, different video assets from Facebook and YouTube, and also different video assets for Instagram versus Facebook and for Snapchat versus all of the others. 
And it's about time, it's about use case, it's about format in some cases with the growth of portrait video. Mm. It's about thinking about video without sound. It's about thinking about video that actually delivers a meaningful message and perhaps a call to action or something memorable within two or three seconds as opposed to 15 seconds or 30 seconds. And it's my general belief that the media distribution marketplace has evolved much more quickly than the media manufacturing marketplace. So distribution is the media side of the business and manufacturing is the creative side of yep. the business. I think that, <coughs> that distribution's leapt ahead of manufacturing. And my guess is that the back of 2015 and 2016, driven by things like Facebook video, driven by things like Twitter, like Twitter Lightning, driven by things like Snapchat, is going to accelerate the manufacturing process so we'll have many more assets to push into the market. So if a client comes to us today and says, I really like the sound of Facebook video because I like their reach, I like the social aspects of it, I like the targeting aspects of it, and we say to them, so tell us what do you have in terms of creative assets that you're really happy with if it runs for three seconds with the sound off? Which does tend to shorten some conversations. But we don't say it because we want to be glib or we have a thing about not wanting to use Facebook video. But there's no mileage in it for us as an agency to encourage clients into using a platform that won't be effective. Because like everything else in life, the first time you're disappointed in something then provides a real barrier to the next time you use it. So we're very keen on encouraging clients to use things for the first time in the right way. Mm. I mean, see, you've been discussing recently a kind of consolidation in the app ecosystem. Yeah. Is that end of fragmentation a good thing for advertisers or, or what's your take on it? Well, the general thesis goes like this. It says there's two tropes in our business. One says that fragmentation is relentless and will continue to be so, and the other one says the world has gone from being a broadcast world to a desktop world to a mobile world. Yeah. So we started thinking about this and were wondering whether that narrative was really true or not, and really have concluded that the real story is the world's gone from channels to sites to apps, as opposed to from broadcast to desktop to mobile. Now, yeah. of course, at the moment, the dominant platform for the consumption of apps is indeed mobile devices, principally smartphones, but also tablets. But our observation is that if you own a smart TV, you interface through your smart TV through apps, and Tim Cook kindly made a very supportive speech on the subject. It was nice to know that we gave him a good <laughs> uh, And I hope they do okay over at, at Apple. They seem to be all right. Uh, but it's not only smart TV, because people have apps on their watches, people have apps in their automobiles now, and with the pace of new car sales being actually at a, a high over a multi-year period, every new car has got an app-driven telematics interface. So it seems to us that there's going to be an enormous percentage of screen time, and I use that deliberately, whether it's communications, commerce, services, entertainment, health and fitness, quantified self, intelligent home, you name it, which of course connects with the whole IoT world, that is going to be app-driven. When you think about the real estate that exists on the devices for those apps, most people have between 25 and 50 apps on their devices. Of those 25 to 50 apps, they spend 80% of their entire app time with 10 or 12 of those apps. Yeah. And when you think about who owns the 10 or 12 apps they spend most time with, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Google, it's Apple, and one or two others. Now, 
If that's true, so you have a small number of apps that dominate usage time, de facto you end up with a reconsolidation of the market. So you have the end of fragmentation from that point of view, but what you don't have is an end to atomization. And the analog I like to use is I think about the American television market 25 or 30 years ago, which was dominated by NBC, ABC, and CBS. So absolute giants didn't share data with each other apart from very high-level audience data, certainly didn't show results between them and the real kind of nuance of viewing within them. But imagine that world, but that you could buy it one viewer at a time. And in a way, that's what Facebook looks like now. It's a giant that you can buy one viewer at a time. Of course, the difference between it and NBC, ABC, and CBS is that it's global. So it's a very different picture. So I think it's really important. And when we think about advertisers, it's important to think about advertisers rather than advertising mm. yeah. in this context. We think about what do you do to create persistent, relevant, useful presences in those apps. Part of it will be ads in some form or another. Part of it will be a content narrative that supports your brand or business message. And part of it will be services of some description that you integrate in them as well. And whether that app is Waze, the traffic navigation app, or whether that app is Uber, it's interesting to us that is their competitive advantage, for example, in Marriott being integrated into the Uber app in a more effective way than Starwood is integrated into the Uber app. And my guess is that, yes, that would be true. Is it a more effective thing for Pizza Hut and KFC, which are owned by the same people, to be integrated into the Waze app, as well as Shell or whoever it may happen to be? Is it competitive for them if they get it and McDonald's don't? And one of the curiosities about this is that in each big sea change in media over time, start of the newspaper market, the start of the magazine market, the start of the commercial television market, a number of advertisers engaged in a very forthright manner with those media when they first came to existence and built franchises, whether it was the center break of soccer or the back cover of Vogue or whatever it may have to be, and defended those franchises mm. over time. And merely through the expedient of saying the inflation in the market was 5%, I'll negotiate well and get it for 4%. If you multiply that out over 25 years, the delta between your price and your competitor's price is a big one, which then creates a barrier to entry for the other guy and QED, competitive advantage for you. So what we're thinking about in this trope about this end of fragmentation and the rise of the app ecosystem is not just observing it as a phenomenon, not just observing that there's a space for ads, a space for content, and a space for services, but we're also thinking very heavily about what constitutes sustainable competitive advantage in those markets. Perfect. Rob, thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.